Happy Hauntings Horror fans, and welcome back to Megan's Murder Movies. I'm your host, Megan, and welcome back after a long hiatus. Um, sorry about that. I had no intention of taking that much time off. Um, had some personal stuff going on, ended up um, leaving the relationship that I was in, and so then I took some time to drive to Oregon to visit family and hang out for a little bit, and I didn't pack any of my podcast equipment or anything, so... Um, that's why we were on such a hiatus for, gosh, like two months, which really bummed me out because I felt so good in like the work that I had been putting into the podcast this year, but just with where I was mentally, um, there was no room for podcasting. Um, and I also didn't want to have to like pack up all my equipment and try and have a quiet place at my dad's to find time to record and edit and do all of that. I just wanted to like enjoy time with family. So thank you for everyone who reached out during that time and was super kind and encouraging. Um, I have missed this so much though, and I'm really excited to get back into it for a Halloween episode. I could not let Halloween pass by without a podcast episode. So we're doing something not super horror filled, um, much more kind of classic Halloween. Um, today we are going to be doing Sleepy Hollow. I'm excited to talk about this one. Um, I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, but this one is not a fan favorite of mine. I do enjoy it. I try to watch it at least once a year, kind of during October, because it's definitely that vibe. But there are certain things in it that just aren't aren't my vibe. Um, specifically the B plot line of Katrina and Ichabod's relationship. Um, the age gap between Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci. I just, oh, it just, it gives me the ick to watch it. If it's your thing, I'm sorry that it's not mine. Um, and I'm not trying to take that from you, but this one isn't like a fan favorite of mine, but it's such a classic Halloween one that we had to do for the podcast. Um, in terms of news, I don't really want to talk about too much since SAG-AFTRA is still on strike. I know writers um, were able to get to an agreement, which is amazing. Um, SAG is still waiting on an agreement. So, so yeah, not going to be talking about too much horror news. Um, I did watch Fall of the House of Usher. Loved. I did see Five Nights at Freddy's, and I had a fun time. Do I think it was groundbreaking? No. But do I think it was fun? Yes. Do I prefer Willy's Wonderland? Also, yes. But it was a fun time. Um, without further ado, let's jump into Sleepy Hollow. Like I said, SAG's still on strike. Um, not going to be talking a lot, even though I love to go into some of the new horror news that we have going on. Um, just not, not going to be doing that. So follow me on social media, specifically Twitter. Right now, I need to start posting more on Blue Sky. I am on Blue Sky at M Murder Movies, same handle as Twitter and Instagram. Um, and you start posting more there. So, if you want to know the horror news that I'm excited about, check it out over on social media because I'm always quote tweeting and liking stuff. And I'm not going to call it X. So, please, nobody reach out and be like, it's not Twitter anymore because that's not the vibes that we have going here. 
So without further ado, we can jump into a summary for Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow is a movie about a police detective named Ichabod Crane who is sent to a small town to investigate a series of murders by the mysterious Headless Horseman. It is currently streaming on HBO Max, uh, which is where I watched it, and then you can also rent it um, on like Prime Video or Google Play, um, wherever you get your non-physical media. The Rotten Tomato score, audiences give it about 80 and critics gave it about a 70%. Um, I probably sit more with the like 70. It's kind of a mid-range movie for me. I'm a huge Tim Burton fan. The The score, Danny Elfman did a phenomenal job for the score of this. I think the score is one of my favorite parts of it. It really is just the B-plot of the relationship between um, Ichabod and Katrina's character that... I'm, it just pulls me out of, like, the the setting. So now we can jump into our cast breakdown, and we will start with our main character, Ichabod Crane, who is played by Johnny Depp. He's an American actor, producer, musician, uh, has appeared in tons of films. He made his debut in the horror film A Nightmare on Elm Street, which I'm hoping to do soon on the podcast. Uh, in the following two years, he appeared in the comedy Private Resort and the war film Platoon, another great film. And then he was also in Slow Burn in 1986. A year later, he started playing a reoccurring role as Officer Tom Hansen in the police procedural television series 21 Jump Street from 1987 to 1990, which he played until the middle of the fourth season. During that time, he experienced a rapid rise as a professional actor. In the 90s, he starred as the title character in the films Crybaby and Edward Scissorhands. And then through the rest of the 90s, he played in Arizona Dreams, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Benny and June... Dead Man, and the title characters Ed Wood, Don Juan DeMarco, and Donnie Brasco. He also starred in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He was in The Ninth Gate, and then, of course, Sleepy Hollow. In the early 2000s, he appeared in the romance Chocolate, the crime film Blow, and the action film Once Upon a Time in Mexico. He was also in the drama Finding Neverland. Additionally, he was in the horror films From Hell and Secret Window. He also portrayed the title character Sweeney Todd in Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, and he appeared in Public Enemies in 2009. He started portraying the role of Captain Jack Sparrow in 2003 and has played that role many times since then in the four sequels, and this is one of his more famous roles. Um, he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor for his performances in The Curse of the Black Pearl, Finding Neverland, and Sweeney Todd. He also portrayed Willy Wonka in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and he was also in Alice in Wonderland, the live action. In 2010, he went to star in The Tourist with Angelina Jolie and was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in a Motion Picture Comedy. He starred in Dark Shadows in 2012 with Michelle Pfeiffer. He was in The Lone Ranger in 2013 and Transcendence in 2014. He reprised his role in Alice Through the Looking Glass and starred in the drama Minamata in 2020. He's also done some animated work in King of the Hill, SpongeBob SquarePants, Family Guy, and Rango in 2011. Then we can move on to Christina Ricci, who we have talked about on the podcast before i'm pretty sure yes we did because we did the adams family um so we talked about her in that episode but we'll talk about her again today and she plays the character of katrina van tassel 
Christina is an American actress known for playing unusual characters with a dark edge. She works mostly in independent productions, but also has appeared in numerous box office hits. She is the recipient of Golden Globe, Screen Actor Guild, and Primetime Emmy Award nominations. She made her film debut at the age of nine in Mermaids, which was followed by a breakout role as Wednesday Addams in The Addams Family and its sequel, The Addams Family Values. Um, she went on to appear in Casper. And Now and Then, both in 1995, and this established her as a teen idol. At 17, she moved into adult-oriented roles with The Ice Storm, which led to parts in several independent films, such as Buffalo 66, The Opposite of Sex, Pecker, All in 1998, Prozac Nation, Pumpkin, and Monster. She also starred in 200 Cigarettes, Sleepy Hollow, both in 1999, Anything Else, Cursed, and Penelope, and then Speed Racer. In 2021, she had a supporting role in The Matrix Resurrections. On television, she has appeared as Liza Bump in the final season of Allie McBeal and had one guest role on Grey's Anatomy, for which she received an Emmy Award nomination for Outstanding Guest Actress. She also starred in the ABC series Pan Am from 2011 to 2012 and produced and starred in the series The Lizzie Borden Chronicles. And then she was also in Z, The Beginning of Everything. In 2021, Reese began playing Misty Quigley on Showtime's Yellow Jackets, for which she received her second Emmy nomination, this time for Outstanding Supporting Actress, and she also appeared as Marilyn Thornhill in the Netflix series Wednesday. In 2010, she made her Broadway debut in Time Stands Still, and she is the national spokesperson for the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. And I will say that while on hiatus, I did finish season two of Yellow Jackets finally. I like sat down and made myself um, finish it. I have a really bad habit of not finishing shows because I don't want them to be over. So I'll watch most of the series and I'll just leave like three or four episodes because I'm like, I'll, when I feel like finishing it, when I want it to be over, I'll finish it. Um, and then I d don't get around to it because I don't want it to end. Um, so even though I know we're supposed to be getting more yellow jackets, I still held off, but I did finish it and it was phenomenal. Then we have the role of Lady Mary Van Tassel, who is Katrina's stepmom, and she is played by Miranda Richardson, and she's an English actress who has worked in TV, film, and theater. After graduating from the Bristol Old Vic Theater School, she began her career in 1979 and made her West End debut in 1981, playing Moving before being nominated for the 1987 Olivier Award for Best Actress for A Lie of the Mind. Her films include Empire of the Sun, The Crying Game, The Line, The Cross, The Curve, The Apostle, Sleepy Hollow, Chicken Run, The Hours, Spider, The Phantom of the Opera, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, The Young Victoria, Maiden Dagnum, Belle, and Stronger. Her television credits include Black Ladder, A Dance to the Music of Time, Merlin, The Lost Prince, Gideon's Daughter, and the sitcom The Life and Times of Vivian Vile, Rubicon, and Good Omens. She's been nominated for Academy Awards for Damage and Tom and Viv. A six-time BAFTA Award nominee, she won the BAFTA Award for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Damage, and she's also been nominated for seven Golden Globe Awards, winning twice for Enchanted April and the TV film Fatherland. Then we'll move on to the role of Baltus Van Tassel, who is Katrina's father and, of course, Lady Mary's husband. And he's played by Michael Gambon. Michael was an Irish-English actor. 
He started his acting career with Lawrence Oliver as one of the original members of the Royal National Theater. Over his six-decade-long career, he received three Olivier Awards and four BAFTA TV Awards. In 1998, he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II for services to drama. Gambon appeared in many productions of works by William Shakespeare, such as Othello, Hamlet, and Macbeth. He was nominated for 13 Olivier Awards, winning three for A Chorus of Disapproval, A View from the Bridge, and Man of the Moment. In 1997, he made his Broadway debut in David Hare's Skylight, earning a Tony Award for Best Actor in a Play nomination. Gaiman made his film debut with Othello in 1965. His other notable films include The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover, The Wings of the Dove, The Insider, Grossford Park, Amazing Grace, The King's Speech, Quartet, and Victoria and Abdul. Gambin also appeared in the Wes Anderson films The Life Aquatic with Steven Zuzu and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Gambin gained wider recognition through his role of Elvis Dumbledore in the Harry Potter film series from 2004 to 2011, replacing Richard Harris following his death in 2002. For his work on television, he received four BAFTA awards for The Singing Detective, Wives and Daughters, Longitude, and The Perfect Stranger. He received two Primetime Emmy nominations for Path to War in 2002 and Emma in 2009. Gaiman's other notable projects include Cranford in 2007 and The Casual Vacancy in 2015. In 2017, he received the Irish Film and Television Academy Lifetime Achievement Award, and in 2020, he was listed at number 27 on the Irish Times list of Ireland's greatest film actors. Then we have the role of Brom Van Brunt, who's played by Casper Van Dyne. And Brom is just a, a young man who lives in Sleepy Hollow who clearly has affections toward Katrina. So Casper Van Dyne had two early breaks and they were reoccurring roles as Ty Moody on the daytime soap opera One Life to Live and primetime Emmy drama Beverly Hills 90210. He really wanted to expand his acting talents. He took a part in the video game Wing Commander 4. In 1996, he played King Tal in Beastmaster 3, The Eye of Braxis, the second sequel to the 1982 cult classic, The Beastmaster. Van Dyne also starred in the 1997 James Dean biopic, James Dean Race with Destiny. Soon after, he got the breakthrough role of Johnny Rico in Paul Verhoeven's 1997 science fiction action film, Starship Troopers. His success in Starship Troopers subsequently resulted in his casting as Tarzan in Tarzan and the Lost City. Van Dyne next played Brom Van Brunt in Tim Burton's 1999 film Sleepy Hollow, a reworking of the classic Washington Irving tale. In 2000, Van Dyne appeared in Cutaway as well as Aaron Spelling's short-lived NBC primetime soap Titans. He filmed several scenes as Patrick Bateman in the 2002 The Rules of Attraction. However, the scenes were unused in the final film. In 2008, he returned to the role of Rico in Starship Troopers 3. Van Dyne replaced Matt Millens as Johnny Cage for the second season of the YouTube series Mortal Kombat Legacy. In 2020, he joined the cast of the independent film Daughter. In 2022, he played the role of Samuel Heist in the series Salvage Marines, where he was also credited as a producer, an adaptation of the Necrospace book series. In an interview, he favorably compared this role to that of Johnny Rico. Then we'll move on to the role of Reverend Stenwick, and he is played by Jeffrey Jones. He's an American actor best known for his role as 
Emperor Joseph II Amadeus. He was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He played Charles Dietz in Beetlejuice. Um, he was in The Hunt for Red October, The Devil's Advocate, and he was in Deadwood and Deadwood the Movie. His career started in Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and advanced to London and Broadway. We've talked about him on the podcast before when we did our Beetlejuice episode. So then we can talk about Magistrate Samuel Phillips, and he's played by Richard Griffiths. He's an English actor of film, television, and stage. He's, he's known for his portrayals of Vernon Dursley in the Harry Potter films, Uncle Monty in With Nail and I, and Henry Crabb in Pie in the Sky. Over his career, he received numerous accolades, including a Tony Award and Olivier Award, as well as being nominated for a BAFTA Award. He was appointed as an officer of the Order of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth II in 2008. For his performance in the stage play, The History Boys, Griffiths won the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Play and a Laurence Olivier Award for Best Actor in a Play. For the 2006 film adaptation, Griffiths was nominated for the BAFTA Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role. He's also known for his performances at the National Theater, including A Habit of Art and The Sunshine Boys. He has had supporting roles in such critically acclaimed film as Chariots of Fire, The French Lieutenant's Woman, Gandhi, A Private Function, Venus, Ballet Shoes, and Hugo. He appeared in the commercial films The Naked Gun Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear, Sleepy Hollow, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Bedtime Stories, and Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Then we'll talk about Dr. Thomas Lancaster, who's, of course, the town doctor and surgeon, and he was played by Ian McDermott. Ian's a Scottish actor and director of stage and screen, making his stage debut in Hamlet in 1972. He joined the Royal Shakespeare Company in 1974 and has since starred in a number of Shakespeare plays. He's received an Olivia Award for Best Actor for Insignificance and a Tony Award for Best Feature Actor in a Play for Faith Healer. He gained prominence for portraying Emperor Palpatine slash Darth Sidious in the Star Wars multimedia franchise, starting from Return of the Jedi. He also acted in Grokey Park, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Restoration, and The Lost City of Z. Then we will talk about the town notary, James Hardenbrook, and he's played by Michael Gow. He was a British actor who made more than 150 films and television appearances. He's known for his role in the Hammer Horror films from 1958 with his first role as Sir Arthur Holmwood in Dracula and for his recurring role as Alfred Pennyworth from 1989 to 1997 in the form of Batman films directed by Tim Burton or Joel Schumacher. He appeared in three more Burton films, including Sleepy Hollow, he was the cor in The Corpse Bride, and Alice in Wonderland. He also appeared in popular British television shows, including Doctor Who. In 1956, he received a British Academy Television Award for Best Actor at the National Theatre in London. He excelled as a comedian, playing a resigned and rueful parent in the play Bedroom Farce in 1977. When the comedy transferred to Broadway, he won a Tony Award for that role. One of his most well-received West End roles was as Baron Von Epp in the revival of A Patriot for Me. Then we have the role of young Masbeth, who's played by Mark Pickering, and he's an English stage film and television actor who appeared in Sleepy Hollow, Calendar Girls, and HBO's Boardwalk Empire. Then we have the role of Lady Crane, who is Ichabod's mother, who we see in flashbacks, and she was played by Lisa Marie. She was a model for 
Robert Maplethrope and was featured in photographer Bruce Weber's ad campaign for designer Calvin Klein's Obsession Perfume. She went on to appear briefly in Let's Get Lost, which was a documentary of the life of jazz trumpeter Trett Baker and had a small role in Woody Allen's film Atlas. In 1989, she appeared on Malcolm McLaurin's song, Something Jumpin' in Your Shirt, from his 1989 album, Waltz Darling. From 2020 to 2022, she hosted the short film series, Exposure, on the Sci-Fi Channel, where he has appeared in magazines, including Maxim, Playboy, and Esquire. She also had her own photographs exhibited and published in magazines. Vanity Fair ran side-by-side photos taken by her and her partner, film director Tim Burton. Marie appeared in several of Tim Burton's films, including portraying actress slash 1950 television horror movie hostess Vampira in the biopic Ed Wood. In 2015, Marie starred in the horror film We Are Still Here. And then the last person to talk about is the Headless Horseman, who... Um, was played by Christopher Walken, but Ray Park was his stuntman. Um, and he played a good portion of the horseman that we see in the film because Christopher Walken didn't know how to ride a horse. So Ray Park, pretty much any time there's a pullback shot where we don't see the horseman, um, where the horseman is without his head, it's Ray Park. So first we'll talk about Ray Park. He's a Scottish actor, martial artist, and stuntsman, best known for physically portraying Darth Maul in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace and Solo, A Star Wars Story, along with a motion capture performance in the final season of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. He was Toad in X-Men, Snake Eye in G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, and G.I. Joe Retaliation, and Edgar on Heroes. And then, of course, Christopher Walken, the man, the myth, the legend. He's an American actor, prolific in film, television, and on stage. Walken is the recipient of numerous accolades. He has earned an Academy Award, a BAFTA Award, a Screen Actors Guild Award, and as well as nominations for two Primetime Emmy and two Tony Awards. His films have grossed more than $1.6 billion in the United States alone. Walken has appeared in supporting roles in films such as The Anderson Tapes, Next Stop, Greenwich Village, Roseland, and Annie Hall, before coming to wider attention as the troubled Vietnam War veteran Nick in The Deer Hunter. His performance earned him an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. He was nominated for the same award for portraying con artist Frank Abagnale's father in Steven Spielberg's Catch Me If You Can. Since his breakthrough, Walken has appeared in films in various genres, both in lead and supporting roles. These include The Dogs of War, Brainstorm, The Dead Zone, A View to Kill, at Close Range, King of New York, Comfort of Strangers, Batman Returns, True Romance, Pulp Fiction, Suicide Kings, Hairspray, Wedding Crashers, Seven Psychopaths, A Late Quartet, the first three Prophecy films, and Percy in 2020. He also provided voice work for the animated films Ants and The Jungle Book. On television, he's appeared in such films as Who Am I This Time and, and Sarah Plain and Tall, for which he received a Primetime Emmy Award nomination. More recently, he has starred in television series The Outlaws and Severance, the later of which earned him a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama Series nomination. He has guest hosted Saturday Night Live seven times. His roles on the show include record producer Bruce Dickinson in the More Cowbell sketch, which who doesn't know the More Cowbell sketch, the disgraced Confederate officer Colonel Agnes, and multiple appearances as an aging, unsuccessful Lothario in the Continental sketch. As a stage actor, Walken starred with Irene Worth in 1975 
on Broadway's revival of Sweet Bird of Youth. Walken has played the lead in the Shakespeare plays Hamlet, Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, his performance in the original rendition of James Joyce's The Dead earned him a Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical nomination, and he was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Play for his role in A Behanding in Spokane. He also wrote and played in the lead role in the 1995 play Him about his idol Elvis Presley. And that is our cast breakdown. We've got a great cast. There's a couple characters um, that we'll see that we won't that I didn't like dive into their actors just because we see them very briefly. They're not talked about much and this is a long enough episode as it is. Um, So just kind of focusing on the characters that we'll talk about a lot. Now we can jump into the fun facts. Got quite a few to chat about. So let's jump in. So, and for those of you who are unaware of the legend of Sleepy Hollow, I'll kind of give a little bit of the plot as much as I can without basically telling the whole story. The story is set in 1790 in the countryside around the former Dutch settlement of Terrytown in a secluded glen known as Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow is renowned for its ghost and its haunting atmosphere. Spooky stuff we love. The most infamous specter in the hollow is the headless horseman, the commander in chief of all the powers in the air, an attribute also the devil has. He's supposedly the restless ghost of a Hessian trooper whose head had been shot off by a stray cannon during some nameless battle of the revolution and who rides forth to the scene of the battle in nightly quest of his head. The legend relates to the tale of Ichabod Crane, a lean, lanky, and extremely superstitious schoolmaster from Connecticut. Throughout his stay in Sleepy Hollow, Crane is able to make himself both useful and agreeable to families that he stays with. He occasionally assists with light farm work, helping with hay, mending fences, caring for farm animals, cutting firewood, normal stuff. Besides his more dominant role as the schoolmaster, he also assists various mothers of the town by helping to care for their young children, taking on the more gentle role. Crane is also quite popular among the women of the town. He's got education, you know, which makes him gossip of the town because everybody thinks he's cute. Throughout the story, Ichabod Crane competes with Brom for the hand of Katrina, the daughter and sole child of the wealthy farmer Baltus Van Tassel. Ichabod, an outsider, sees marriage to Katrina as a means of procuring extravagant wealth. Brom, unable to force Ichabod into a physical showdown to settle things, plays a series of pranks on the superstitious schoolmaster, hoping to drive him out of the town. The tension among the three continues for some time and is soon brought to a head. No pun intended. Um, One night, the ambitious crane attends a harvest party at the Van Tassel's homestead. He dances, partakes in the feast, yada, 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 chit-chats but he's hoping to propose to Katrina after the guest leaves. However, doesn't work that way. She says no. Following his rejected suit, Ichabod rides home on a temporal plow horse named Gunpowder, which he borrowed from the farmer with whom he was lodging. He's very sad, of course, because she said no. And as he's passing, like, haunted spots in town where there's, you know, supposed to be ghost activity, his active imagination is engorged by ghost stories that were told to him at the harvest party. After nervously passing a lightning-stricken tulip tree, which is supposedly haunted by a ghost, Ichabod encounters a cloaked rider at an intersection in a menacing swamp. 
Then, already unsettled by encountering this cloaked figure, he realizes that this man does not have a head. Uh, He takes off, the Hessian starts chasing after him, and Ichabod is feverishly trying to get away. And as they cross the bridge, Ichabod turns back and sees that this headless horseman is throwing his decapitated head at Ichabod. He... He gets hit in the head. It sends him tumbling off the horse. The next morning, Gunpowder is found eating at his master's gate, but Ichabod has mysteriously disappeared from the area, leaving Katrina to later marry Brom, who is said to look exceedingly knowing. So there are two like possible ideas for how the story ends, uh, whichever version you want to lean into, was that it was either Brom playing a trick on like a prank on Ichabod and essentially murdered him, or it was actually the spirit of the headless horseman. And Brahm ends up with Katrina. Then we can jump into some fun facts. So Johnny Depp actually adopted the horse that played gunpowder. Um, when the film ended, I guess the horse was going to be put down. So Johnny Depp adopted the horse, which is cool. It was only after being cast as the headless horseman that Christopher Walken admitted to director Tim Burton that he didn't know how to ride a horse. Johnny Depp actually did all of his own stunts for the final scene where he's dragged by the horses. He had bulletproof clothing on underneath his wardrobe. Johnny Depp initially found the idea of Christina Ricci being his love interest in the film to be rather odd, seeing as he's known her since she was nine. They first met on the set of Mermaids when Johnny Depp was dating Renona Ryder at the time. Again, the relationship in this, I just, and I get that that's part of the story, but I don't think the age gap was that large in the story. It just, and they look, like, they don't even look close to the same age, I feel like. Like, she looks so young. It just, it doesn't do it for me. Sir Michael Gambon wanted to keep his severed head and send it via proxy to interviews and dinner parties as a joke, which I think is hilarious. At around three minutes, we see a scarecrow when Peter Van Garrett gets his head caught off by the Headless Horseman, and this is very remnant to the opening pumpkin and scarecrow from the night before christmas which is another tim burton classic tim burton has stated in dvd commentary that he dislikes it when children are spared from danger in horror movies um and so we see two very very young children we don't witness them but we know that they've happened um one victim in the film is a baby who's still in its mother's womb that was beheaded and another one is a young boy of maybe five or six who we see get dragged out of the cellar by the horseman we don't see the beheading obviously um but we know that that's what happened and there are 18 decapitations in this movie at around one hour and 30 minutes in order to escape the headless horseman ichabod sets fire to the windmill instead of simply burning down the windmill explodes in a huge fireball this would be due to a dust explosion which is when fine powder suspended in the air like flour is ignited according to the director's commentary on the dvd during the church scene where the doctor is killed by a blow to the head they accidentally hit him so hard that he ended up having to go to the hospital the role of the witch in the western woods was originally much larger in then in the finished movie, dialogue about her was originally in the scene where Ichabod and Katrina had their midnight talk. These lines made it into the trailer. Later, in a deleted scene, Ichabod would have found the beheaded body of the witch outside her cave, which we will talk about when we get there. The Headless Horseman's horse is named Daredevil, the same name of Brown Bones Van Brunt's horse in the Washington Irving short story. Miranda Richardson plays both Lady Van Tassel and her twin sister, the witch in the Western Woods. 
In the original story, Ichabod Crane is not an entirely sympathetic character. As a schoolmaster, he is strict and habitually delivers corporal punishment to his students. He's also a gold digger. Like I mentioned, he knows that that will get him a higher station in life. That's why he wants to marry Katrina. In the film, the Headless Horseman is unable to enter holy ground. This initially prevents him from reaching an intended victim who hides in a church. This matches legends concerning the provocative powers of churches. The film's plot twist is that the horseman finds a way to kill the victim from a distance, and it is a 10 out of 10 scene. In the opening scene featuring the Van Garrett murder, the coach driver briefly drives while headless. This could be in relation to Irish legend of Dullahan, the harbinger of death that is seen as a headless coachman whose stopping brings death to those who see it. Van Garrett dies moments after seeing that the coachman has no head. The main villain, Lady Mary Van Tassel, is depicted as a tragic villain. She suffered a miserable childhood and faced starvation due to a cruel landlord and number of God-fearing Christians who abused a working-class widow and two orphan girls, herself and her sister. On the other hand, though, Mary herself displays a complete lack of empathy and her childhood experiences supposedly eliminated any moral boundaries. And that wraps up our fun facts. So without further ado, we can jump into the scene-by-scene breakdown. We open with some of our opening credits. Starts pretty basic. Dark night sky, some mist, fog, smoke, whatever you want to call it. Then we see what appears to be blood falling on a piece of parchment. We see what appears to be a male hand and a female hand embracing in front of a fireplace. We see a couple pieces of paperwork that look to be some type of um, certificates. They seem very formal maybe a will. Um, We're seeing people signing everything, um, whatever it is is being documented. And then we see what we thought was blood on the parchment is actually candle wax because it's going to be sealed shut, which I always think those are very cool. And we see the seal is embossed with the Van Garrett, like coat of arms or whatever you want to call it. We cut to a carriage, seems to be going very quickly down this road very late at night. It's dark, it's misty, it's spooky. Great way to start off a Halloween film. We got our main man inside. He seems to be sitting by himself, doesn't appear to be anyone else in the carriage. And then, of course, his driver is outside the carriage. Very Cinderella vibes. You know what I'm talking about. They pass. It's supposed to be a scarecrow with the jack-o'-lantern head, like I talked about in the fun facts. Uh, Again, looks very chilling. Looks like Jack Skellington at the beginning of Nightmare Before Christmas. We've got thunder happening. There's lightning. And we've talked about the soundtrack very briefly, but Danny Elfman did such an amazing job. I actually have this on vinyl and it's one of my favorite ones to put on in the background. Like if I don't have a lot of work meetings and I like, you know, I'm just doing admin stuff and not having to jump on calls with people. So I don't have to worry about like turning it down and I will just blast the Sleepy Hollow soundtrack. And it is, it gives you those fall spooky feelings and I love it. Back to our man in the carriage, Mr. Van Garrett. We hear some horse noises, but they appear to be coming from behind the carriage and don't seem to be coming from the horses that are pulling the carriage. We hear um, a sword unsheathing and the man inside looks out the window and he sees that his driver has been beheaded. So there's really nobody controlling the carriage. Van Garrett then has to jump from the carriage and this carriage is still taking off full speed down the road. He jumps into the cornfield trying to escape whatever force is after him. He runs into the corn a little bit, and then he ends up running into the scarecrow that we had seen just seconds earlier with the jack-o'-lantern head. It, of course, scares Van Garrett, and then we hear horse noises right behind him. He turns, we hear the sword unsheath, and Van Garrett is then decapitated. 
Then we cut to a title, not a title card, but just a like picture of a street, and it says New York 1799. We hear someone calling for help, and these two policemen run over, and we see Constable Crane is the one who was calling for help. He's sitting on this little dock by the water, and this dead body comes floating up out of the water. They bring it to, I'm assuming, the police station, and the whoever's in charge is like, just burn the body, he drowned, whatever. And Ichabod Crane's like, no, we need to examine him, we need to do an autopsy, we need to make sure that that's exactly what happened. And the man's like, we found him in the river, cause of death is drowning, what more do you need? One plus one is three. Easy peasy. And Ichabod's clearly not happy that he's not being listened to. These two other policemen bring in a thief. He was caught thieving. And he gets thrown into this pit in the floor, and this gate is put over the top. I mean, it's 1799. There's no due process. There's really no one that, you know, there's no rules yet. Everyone's just kind of doing what they please. Now we're in court with Ichabod Crane, and he's talking about justice, and he kind of basically what I was just saying. He's like, we need to have to, we need to have due process. We need to have evidence. We can't just, you know, force confessions out of people or decide that this is what makes the most sense. Like we have to have evidence to back that up. And the man who's in charge of this, I think that they were called like brogmasters or borgmasters, and he's like we're tired of hearing this from you. You come in here all the time saying the same things and you just need to leave it alone. Nobody trusts your science stuff. That's not how we do it here. And this is a great time to let you know you're actually going to be going to a place called Sleepy Hollow. They're having some issues. So you go hang out with them and figure out what's going on. Three people have been murdered all within a two-week period and each one has been decapitated. And this judge brogmaster or whatever says that Ichabod can take his experiments to Sleepy Hollow and you will detect the murderer bring him here to face our good justice um basically I think they picked him just to get him out of their hair because they were tired of him being like actually this is kind of not okay and they're like shut up and do your job the judge then says remember it is you Ichabod Crane who is now put to the test it's very intense it's a great shot because the the judge is sitting of course you know higher up above everybody in this room and there's I'm I'm assuming it's supposed to be an eagle behind him and so but we don't see the the bird we just see the wings and so they look like they're coming out of the back of this judge it's a really really cool shot then we see Ichabod packing for his trip he has this beautiful cardinal in a cage in his room and he decides to let it go since he's going to be gone and no one will be caring for it. So he opens his window, he lets the bird out, and then we see the carriage pull up outside as he's kind of leaning out the window. Now we get a bunch of lovely countryside shots while we see the carriage moving through the countryside. Uh, Starts daytime as the carriage is traveling. Of course, it's getting darker. Ichabod's traveling to Sleepy Hollow. He's going over his notebook that has all of his notes that he was given about Sleepy Hollow as well as his techniques and uh, little drawings of some of the things that he would like to try and notes of what he think would be helpful in doing, you know, figuring out what's been going on here. Next, we see Ichabod playing with this very interesting tool. I, I guess is maybe the right word for it. He's created it and you're not exactly sure what this tool is used for, but The music in this scene also is really great because it just, the whole time it starts off very kind of soft and then it builds throughout the entire scene of him traveling to Sleepy Hollow, which is great, builds up the unsettling feelings. 
like I said, it's getting darker outside. We hear wolves howling, which seems to kind of startle our dealer Ichabod a little bit. He seems to be dozing off in the carriage, and then the road gets a little bit rougher, and he's finally dropped off just outside the town of Sleepy Hollow. It seems to be a very small town, may even be the wrong word for it. I would say it's maybe closer to a village. I don't know technical terms if that's correct, but it's very small. The carriage doesn't even stay long. It drops Ichabod and then it continues on and it doesn't even bring him into the town. It drops him like at the, the gate of the town essentially. And we can see that there is a cemetery to the left and what looks like a little place where they keep their livestock to the right. There's a bunch of sheep that we see as Ichabod's going down this road further into the town. And as he goes further down, he sees a couple people, but everyone's inside and everyone closes their windows as they see him walk up. Nobody comes to greet him. Nobody seems happy to see him. Um, Everyone just shuts their windows. There is a little perimeter fence, and he sees a couple men with weapons just outside the fence. Um, We assume that these are just volunteers that are trying to protect the town from whatever this being is that is decapitating people. And so we see one man with his gun talking to another like younger boy. We assume he's talking to his father. We learn later that yes, it is his father. Um, but I feel like it's a fairly easy assumption to make from the way they interact. We don't hear them talk, but the way they interact in that quick scene. Ichabod makes his way through the town and then makes his way to a large house, kind of just outside town. It seems like he just walks up to the door and uses the little knocker. And then to his right on the porch, there are two people hidden in the shadows, just hardcore making out. And he's clearly kind of taken aback by this, like, what? where did I end up? What is happening here? The house is full of people. There's a party in full swing. People are dancing, chatting, drinking. Um, there's younger, I don't want to say kids, but like younger um, people in the town playing a game of the Pickety Witch. And so essentially someone has a blindfold on typically a young pretty girl and she is the Pickety Witch. And then everyone moves around in a circle like surrounding her and she walks up to someone and the pickety witch gets to kiss whoever they select but of course it's all based on blindfolding it's like a kind of a backwards way to do spin the bottle because it's i mean i it's the 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 circle in this case is the one spinning but the pickety witch does get to decide like what direction they go if that makes sense so they're playing pickety witch Ichabod comes into the house and accidentally kind of makes his way into the circle and the girl, the young girl who is playing the Pickety Witch at the moment, who we will very soon learn is Katrina Van Tassel, has selected Ichabod. And so she thinks that it's another boy in the town. And then he says, oh, like, Ichabod's like, no, I'm just a stranger. And she's like, oh, well, take a kiss anyway. And so she kisses him on the cheek. And we can see this other young lad in the back fuming at this little exchange during the Pickety Witch game. And we will learn that that is Brom, who is, like we mentioned in the original Washington Irving story, also has eyes for Katrina. And so was very hurt by the fact that he did not get a kiss from her. And of course, Katrina seems all infatuated with this new man from out of town. She introduces herself, and then Ichabod says, I'm actually looking for your father, Baltus. And at this time, we see Baltus and his wife, Lady Mary, come into the room. They meet 
Ichabod. Ichabod uh, is invited by Mary to stay with them in their home. And so he goes to get settled. Baltus then kind of tells the the musicians to keep playing, you know, keep the party going, but then kind of starts looking at these other men in the room and they all kind of nod. And so then they're going to go into a meeting separately with Ichabod away from the party. We see Ichabod upstairs unpacking his things, getting settled. One of the maids comes into his room to set down a candle and I think some water and then goes over to him, not super close, but like, you know, crosses the room to be closer to him and says, thank God you're here. And then she just leaves. She doesn't say anything else. She just says, thank God you're here and just bounces. Next, we see Ichabod entering what I'm assuming is Baltus's like study or library area. Um, this is when we meet Baltus Van Tassel, Samuel Phillips, who is a magistrate. And he clearly is a bit of an alcoholic because he's adding liquor to his tea when we see him. We also meet Dr. Lancaster, who's the town doctor, Reverend Stenwick, who is, of course, the local pastor, and James Hardenbrook, who is the town notary. And then we also learn that Van Tassel is in charge of everything. Kind of, he's kind of, I guess you could say the mayor of the town. He used to be a farmer. He rose up as a landlord and a banker, and now he essentially is the mayor. Everyone respects him. He has a lot of... Um, good things to say about the town. People have good things to say about him. And then we learned that Van Garrett and his son were both murdered by this killer. And then we also learned that there was a woman who had been widowed and she has also been decapitated and murdered as well. Ichabod is hearing this from them and he says, okay, so, you know, who, who are you suspecting? Who, what are, what are the thoughts right now? And all the men just kind of look at each other and they're like, no, it's, it's, it's the headless horseman. Like, you know, it, it's this dark entity, this man who, you know, was, was a high up soldier back in the day and had no fear and would go into battle full speed and, you know, stab people and cut off their heads and all of this stuff. And then one day, you know, when he was in this area and he was near the Western woods, he was chased into the woods by some soldiers after they, you know, they took out his horse and, you know, they found him and they cut off his head with his own sword. And now he has come back, you know, to, to do these dark things and to kill these people. And Ichabod's like, but that doesn't make sense. Like logically that's not what's happening. Like it's a person of flesh and blood. So who do we suspect? And they're still like, no, you're not, you're not getting it. Like, it's not a person. It's a monster, essentially. And then Ichabod is like, you know, I've brought books and I've brought things, you know, and I'm going to figure out who is doing this. Like, again, it has to be someone of flesh and blood. And the reverend grabs, <laughs> grabs the Holy Bible and is like, this is the only book that you need to read to understand what's happening here. And Ichabod seems shocked. He's like, I, I don't understand what's going on. They also dropped the piece of knowledge on him. I think I misglossed over that quickly. That not only were they decapitated, but all of their heads were taken. And they say that all the heads were taken back to hell. And Ichabod kind of sits down and he's looking a little more concerned. And he's like, okay, like, I still am unsure as to why you guys think that it is this man who lived you know years ago and and was murdered 
um, in the woods. And we see while Van Tassel's telling the story of this, you know, Hessian, we see this happening. We see his horse get shot down. We see him riding into battle. He's like sharpened his teeth to make him look even scarier. And he goes into the woods on this snowy afternoon after his horse Daredevil is shot and comes across these two young girls collecting firewood. And he holds his finger up to tell them to be quiet. And then one of them looks him dead in the eye and breaks a stick, which of course brings the other soldiers coming in. He gets slaughtered, and we see the girl who essentially gave him up, who made the noise to draw the soldiers' attention to their area. She stays behind a tree and watches the whole murder take place. We see that a grave was dug for him, his body was put in the ground, his head was put in the ground, and then they buried it, and his sword was stuck in the ground, essentially as as a grave marker. Then Van Tassel says brave men won't even go into the western woods anymore. Now that he's awake, he's on a rampage cutting off the heads where he finds them. And we cut to Ichabod and he's like holding this teacup in his hands and he's just trembling. And he sets the teacup down and he's like, so you're really telling you, so you're really telling me that you believe that this is a ghost. And the notary's like, well, seeing is believing. So yes. And he's like, no, but seriously, like, logically and he still keeps trying to cling on to this logic and they're all just like dude you will find none of that here because it's a ghost Ichabod then has this little talk and he's like you know murder isn't always ghosts in New York it's never a ghost and I'm going to use science and new techniques to figure out what's happening and figure out who which person is committing this crime We cut to later on in the evening and we see someone keeping watch in this little makeshift guard tower. And this is the man that we saw earlier talking to his son, um, essentially before he would have taken his place on the little guard tower. He's got a nice view of the tree line that starts, you know, as, as the woods start after the town ends. And we see that there are four torches kind of right along the tree line. And we see the mist or the fog, whatever you want to call it, come out of the woods put the torches out, and then we see all of this deer come rushing out of the woods, presumably spooked by something. And then the headless horseman makes his way out of the wood line as well and toward the town. The person in the guard tower, he's got his rifle sticking out of this little like makeshift window that they have made in this tower. And we cut back to a far out view of the town. We hear the gunshot. We hear a horse And then we cut to the man who was guarding in the tower running through the woods away from the headless horseman. We see this man get decapitated and now it's next morning. We see Mr. Killian, local. um, I'm going to guess he's like kind of the livestock guy. Not really sure. Um, His wife is is a midwife, um, but not really sure his main job. But he is getting Ichabod set up with a horse. We find out the horse's name is Gunpowder. They have like Mr. Killian and and Ichabod have like cordial politeness. Uh, You know, he says, thank you. Mr. Killian says, let me know if you need anything. Again, we find out that his wife is the town midwife and she's ending an appointment with one of the local women in town who is with child. She calls their son her and Killian's son for breakfast. Killian picks up his son, gives him, you know, a kiss and tells him to go eat his breakfast. They seem like a loving family in those, you know, small little instances that we see them. And then we hear some commotion happening in town and a couple of young men are saying that there's been another murder. Mr. Killian quickly jumps on a horse and full speeds into the woods. Ichabod, however, has a harder time getting on the horse. He's clearly a city boy, doesn't really know much about 
horse riding, it seems, um, has a hard time getting on the horse. He also has this very large doctor bag with him that I imagine does not make it easy as well to be running around on a horse but he finally gets on the horse and then gunpowder tries to go the opposite direction so he's trying to get gunpowder to turn around it's a little wonky but he ends up making it at one point he even tells gunpowder good horsey which i think is great now out in the woods we see the same men from the study the night before so uh, Van Tassel, the doctor, the pasture, the notary, and all of these men have met in the woods with who we learn is Masbeth, who was actually Van Garrett's servant. And he is the one who has been recently decapitated the night before by the horseman. Mr. Killian and Ichabod show up, and now we get to see not all of, but some of Ichabod's fancy tools and techniques for what's going on. He goes up to the body, and Mr. Van Tassel says, this is Lord Masbeth, and we see again that the head was not left behind. And Ichabod's like, but that doesn't make a lot of sense, because typically you take the head so that the body can't be identified. And Van Tassel's like, but but we know that this is Masbeth. Like, but why why would he take the head? And Ichabod's like, exactly, like, there's no point in him, in him taking it so that the body can't be identified, so he had to have taken it for another reason. Like, there's a specific reason why he's taking the heads of the people that he's killing. And then he notices, Ichabod notices that the tracks for the horse, presumably the horseman's horse, are very wide. So he kind of goes to the end of this little path, and he starts galloping, and he's like, so, you know, the horseman rode him down and cut off his head and then kept going and then had to turn around to come back to pick up the head. So he's kind of trying to figure out how the crime went down, of course, putting all of those pieces together. Then he goes over to his fancy little doctor's bag, and he pulls out this little tray thing with all these little bottles and, and things on it, and he throws some some powder on the ground and it starts having this chemical reaction and he's like yes of course okay cool so that reaction happened so he it, the, the head was cut just the one time and then he puts on these like really large spectacles that essentially give him magnifying glasses essentially and he takes these little pliers and he starts looking around the the neck wound and we see this beetle crawl out of the, of Masbeth's neck and it clearly just sets Ichabod off like he doesn't want to look at it he's clearly not super like he's comfortable around dead bodies but he's also still a little bit squeamish um which I loved through the movie is just kind of seeing him grapple with like his intrigue into death and dying and the science behind it but also being like like he gets a little cringy then he explains that the neck wound has been cauterized almost immediately after it has been cut, as if the blade itself were hot and, you know, able, hot enough to, to cauterize the wound. He's like, there's no skin burning, there's no blisters, there's no, uh, you know, burnt flesh, there's nothing of that nature to say that it would happen afterward. Like, the sword would have had to be a, a perfect temperature essentially to cauterize it at the same time as cutting it off and of course this then further points the high members of the town these men to say it's the devil or it's something evil because that's a power that the devil can possess 
And Ichabod's frustrated because he's like, he can't figure out how it could have happened in a realistic standpoint. But he's not buying, of course, the devil idea. Next, we are back in town. They're having a funeral for Masbeth. Sadly, his son that we saw at the beginning, he's maybe 12. Um, he's at the funeral, and he offers his services to Ichabod once the funeral's over. And Ichabod's like, no, that's okay. You know, you need to worry about taking care of your mother. And the boy's like, my mother's already passed, so he has no one. Um, he's hoping that Ichabod will maybe take him under his wing. Ichabod originally says no, and then as Ichabod's getting ready to leave the, the cemetery, we see Phillips comes up and tells Ichabod that Masbeth wasn't the fourth victim, but he was actually the fifth. And Ichabod's like, what are you talking about? And Philip says, five victims, four graves. And then we see that Van Tassel's kind of watching the two of them talk. So Philip's like waves his hand and quickly walks away like their conversation was over, like it wasn't anything important. And then Ichabod turns to young Masbeth and is like, go to the Van Tassel's, have them prepare you a room in the servants' quarters. Wake me in the morning. I hope that you have a strong stomach. And the next morning, we see that they have exhumed all of the bodies, and Ichabod is checking to see what Phillips could have meant by five bodies, four graves. And as he's checking over the woman who dies, he sees that there is a cut on her stomach. So they bring her to the town, like, doctor's office, and it's so great because they just, like, burst into his office. And he's like, we need to operate. And the doctor's like, but she's dead. (laughs) (laughs) it's like one of my favorite lines and he's like well yes when i say operate i mean i need the use of the operation table and so he kicks everyone out ichabod kicks everyone out and he's got all of these crazy tools and he starts cutting into this woman and we don't see this happen but we know that's what he does he comes out of the doctor's office and he is covered in blood and they are like what did you do to her and this is when ichabod says that the widowed woman was pregnant and her unborn child was also decapitated it's now evening and ichabod is on gunpowder he seems to be taking him back to the barn area where he's kept and he's walking over he's like on he's on gunpowder and they're walking over this covered bridge in town ichabod stops the horse and because he hears like stuff behind him we see that it ends up being just a frog and then we hear a horse from behind ichabod so he turns back around and there's nothing but we still hear this horse in the distance and then we see what appears to be the headless horseman with a pumpkin like a jack-o'-lantern that he's carrying which is the iconic image of what we think when we think the headless horseman is the horse with the person and carrying the jack-o'-lantern ichabod of course is terrified and freaks out so he takes off on gunpowder the horseman takes off after him the headless horseman then throws the jack-o'-lantern at ichabod it hits him in the head he falls off of gunpowder and the horseman rides off and then we see that it was actually brahm from the party playing a joke pranking ichabod and so he stops his horse and takes off his cloak and all of his friends are like ah, ha, 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 brahm you're so funny hilarious ah, ha, ha. And brahm's like i know aren't I just the man? Then we come back to Ichabod and he's having this flashback of when he was a child playing with his mother. He clearly seemed very close with his mother and in the flashback he's maybe seven or eight. 
Then we see his mother's holding some flowers. We see this red door against this like white brick wall. We see this really large open fireplace and we see this man kind of standing behind them who seems to be very judgmental. We see that Ichabod is scared as a child during thunderstorms and his mom shows him this little um, like optics twisty thing. And so it's like this circle and then there's two pieces of string, one on either side of the circle. And on one side of this circle is a picture of a cardinal and on the other side is a picture of a cage. And so when you twist the strings in your hand back and forth, it looks like the cage has the bird in it and then the cage is empty and then the cage has the bird in it and then the cage is empty it's just a little optics trick um but so she shows him that to calm him down during the thunderstorm and ichabod thinks that it's just the coolest and then we see ichabod wake up he's in bed he comes downstairs at the van tassel house he pours himself a glass of water and then he realizes that someone's in the study and so he goes to see it's katrina she's reading by the fire he apologizes for disturbing her and she says oh no it's no intrusion and she, she puts the book that she's reading under the couch cushion and ichabod asks about this and she explains that they're her mother's books and her dad's not a big fan of them and we find out that Katrina's mother died two years ago. And the new lady, Mary, was actually Katrina's mother's nurse when her mother was sick. Ichabod then talks with Katrina about the relation to the Van Garretts and the Van Tassels. And Katrina explains that the town is small enough that everyone is pretty much related either by blood or by marriage because it's a small town. We learn the Van Garretts were the richest families in the town. We learn that the Van Garretts brought the Van Tassels to Sleepy Hollow, set them up in a very small cottage, um, which was kind of broken down, but that Katrina's father worked very hard to bring them higher up in society, build them a nice house that they're living in. And Katrina says that she remembers living very poorly in the cottage, and so she's very thankful for everything that her father has given her. Katrina says she has something to show Ichabod, and then she gives him a book of spells and charms. He says he has no need for it, and she says, you're so certain of everything. He takes the book and opens it, and then he sees that it was actually her mother's book. And Katrina mentions that this is protection against harm. And Ichabod then says, you're so certain of everything. And Katrina smiles. Then we see the two of them on horseback go out into the like middle of this field that looks abandoned. It doesn't seem to have much in it. We see the remnants of what was the cottage that her family used to live in. There's like just a couple of little pillars and then this really large fireplace. Ichabod helps Katrina off her horse and she notices these markings that he had on his hands, which I don't remember if I mentioned at the very beginning, but he's got what looks like all of these little pin pricks on his palms that we'll find out later what they are. Um, but she asks about them and he's like, I don't remember how I got them. I've had them for as long as I can remember. Katrina sees a cardinal in the woods and says that she would love to have one, but she would feel really awful keeping it in a cage. And so then Ichabod pulls out this little optic thing that we had seen in the flashback and he shows it to her and she thinks that it's just wonderful. And she jokingly says, so you can do magic. The field that they came to, like I said, has this giant fireplace, um, kind of similar to the one that we saw in Ichabod's flashback. It's clearly giving Ichabod like remnants of that nightmare or that flashback that he had he takes a step away to catch his breath katrina checks on him they talk about cardinals and ichabod explains to her that it's actually optics when she you know asks about it you know saying that he can do magic he's like no it's optics it's true but it's not true at the same time our mind fuses the images together and we see both of them moving in tandem then we cut to later in the evening we're back in town we see the older men in the community are talking um we don't hear what's going on but they're inside talking the camera's outside 
And Phillips is clearly packing to leave. He doesn't want to be there anymore. He has had it. He's done. He's got his little horse and his cart, and he's making his way downtown, walking fast, if you will. Ichabod sees this kind of argument through the window, and he follows Phillips as he's leaving. Ichabod confronts him and is like, did you know, like, how did you know the, the woman was with the child? And Phillips explains that she told him, and Ichabod asks if he's the father, and he says no, and then Ichabod's like, who is the father? And Phillips is like, well, that's kind of basically like client confidentiality. Even though she's passed, I'm not going to disclose who the father was, even though I do know. Ichabod's like, do you think that the father could have killed her and the child? And he says, no, the horseman killed her. And Ichabod's like, there's no horseman. There never was. There never will be. This is a person. And then all of this thunder starts happening. The horseman shows up, starts chasing both Magistrate Phillips and Ichabod, kills Phillips in front of Ichabod, and uh, Phillips's head goes rolling right into Ichabod's lap, essentially as the horseman is coming toward him and takes his sword and runs it into Phillips's head and then runs off with it. Um, and then Ichabod proceeds to faint. We cut to the Van Tassel house and Ichabod's in his room freaking out, which is valid after everything that he's seen. Baltus Van Tassel and Katrina and Masbeth are in the room like with him and Ichabod's like, no, I saw it. Like, you don't understand. It was the headless horseman. Like, I saw it. And they're like, yeah, that's what we've been trying to tell you. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I saw it. And they're like, yeah, that's what we told you is happening. Like, we are not surprised. We knew this whole time. And Ichabod's clearly having a hard time with the logistics of how this could actually be happening. And he proceeds to pass out again. We get another flashback of young Ichabod and his mother. We see his mother in the woods dancing, having a grand old time. She starts dancing with Ichabod. And then she starts levitating off the ground. Like she just starts spinning and then she just spins and spins and starts levitating off the ground. It goes right up into the tree line where we can just see like the bottom part of her dress. And then we see this man who it's easy to assume is Ichabod's father. And he's kind of being abusive to the mother. He throws the Bible in her face and... Um, basically he's accusing her of witchcraft. She's trying to say that she's innocent. And then he takes her and puts her in this room. That's whatever behind that. That is whatever is behind the red door that we have seen. Then we see an iron maiden, which is never a good thing to see. Ichabod wakes up and we see the rest of the four men are now in the Van Tassel living room. So it's Van Tassel, the doctor, the notary, and the reverend. They're all talking. They're expecting Ichabod to pack up and leave. They're like, he's lost his mind. He's done for. Um, but Ichabod comes downstairs and he's like, I've come to my senses. I'm going into the Western woods and I need any volunteers who will come with me. Again, they're shocked to see him. And Ichabod's like, nope, I need to see the headless horseman's grave and see for myself what's going on out in the woods. Nobody's going to go with him except for Masbeth. And then we see Masbeth and Ichabod going through the woods. They're chatting. Ichabod's trying to figure out what connects all the victims. And then Masbeth says a week before the murder, there was an argument upstairs between the Van Garretts. And Masbeth's father was sent to the Van Garretts' house that evening after the argument. Masbeth then points out that the woods are really quiet. There's no birds singing. There's no crickets. It seems like there's pretty much nothing happening out there. They hear kind of a creaking behind them, so they pick up their pace a little bit and go into the woods deeper. Then they come to this little cave area, and they hear what appears to be a woman kind of 
singing, humming, whatever you want to call it. They go into the cave and it drives me nuts because Ichabod is like holding Masbeth in front of him like a shield. Like he's taken this child hostage instead of like leading the way. You know, Ichabod's a full grown man and Masbeth's like maybe 13 or 14. I would say closer to 12, but like he's a child and he's like, you know, Ichabod has his gun out, but he's basically hiding behind Masbeth. It's like, I know he's supposed to be your servant, but I don't think he's supposed to die for you. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's how it was back in 1799, but I don't know. So they go into this little cave. They meet the woman who's in the cave, the Western Witch, as she would be called. She's got this veil over her head, so we can't see what she looks like. She grabs Ichabod and tells Masbeth to exit, and she needs to speak with Ichabod by himself. The witch sits herself down at this table and, like, chains herself to the table so that she can't reach Ichabod. Then she starts performing some type of spell. She's, like, pouring things onto the table, and she cuts off a bat's head and, like, drains the blood on whatever it is that she's making. And then whatever she's making starts smoking, and the witch tells him that when the other comes, I will hold him. Ichabod's like, what other? And she tells him to be quiet she says he's here now and then she puts her head down and Ichabod's like um ma'am excuse me and he goes to pull the veil off of her face but then she like her head pops back up her eyes pop out and there's like a snake coming out of her mouth and of course it startles Ichabod it's scary and she jumps like across the table and is on top of him and she says you seek the warrior bathed in blood the headless horseman follow the indian trail to where the sun dies follow it to the tree of the dead climb down to the horseman's resting place and then she just passes out right on top of him ichabod moves her and runs them out of there which is fair he then tells Masbeth, we're leaving, we're leaving right now, and he and Masbeth get back on their horses to make their way to the horseman's resting place. We see the two of them going through the woods with their horses, and then we see a white horse in the distance with someone riding on it. Ichabod gets off the horse and tells Masbeth to stay with the horses. He takes his gun and goes to see who else is in the woods. He comes around a tree, he, and he almost shoots Katrina because she's also coming to the woods to help him, and she was upset because no one else would go. He says something flirty and they're getting ready to kiss and then Masbeth comes around the tree and it's like, I think I found something. Totally interrupts their moment, which is fine with me because again, it's not, I just, I, know, I can't do it. They find the tree of the dead and it's all, it's real, it's a real creepy looking tree. The mist has now come into the forest and seems to be enveloping all of them rather quickly. Ichabod goes to examine the tree and there's blood on it, which then makes him look nauseous. He tells the two of them to stay and he takes his tools out. Well, he basically just gets an axe out and starts cutting into one of the roots of the tree and it starts spraying him with blood. He goes after this tree root for a while and it drives me nuts because he's just swinging like this hatchet or this axe or whatever with one hand. It's like if you use the force of both of your arms, like it will cut easier. Man has never cut wood in his life. Not that I have done much, but I have camped enough that I know <laughs> it's much easier. You don't just go out with a... F Axes are heavy, and he is a, a lanky man. He does not have the strength to be one hand smacking this tree root. So he finally gets a cut, and then he pulls away what appears to be this like large piece of flesh, and then he finds where all of the heads have been hidden in the tree. 
Masbeth gets scared and hides into Katrina. Ichabod says that the tree is the gateway between the two worlds. He climbs kind of up and around the tree and sees the horseman's sword. It's impaled in and around the tree, like the tree roots have kind of grown around this sword. He then says that the ground has been disturbed and the soil is loose. Ichabod asks for a shovel, and then we cut to him in the midst of digging, and he's got quite a large hole, and we find the skeleton of the horseman, but the horseman's skull is gone. Ichabod thinks this is why the horseman returns for the heads, because his own was taken, so he's trying to get his back. We get a close-up again on the heads, and they appear to be moving around in their little compartment, which is not a good sign. Katrina calls for Ichabod, and then it starts getting dark very quickly. We see thunder and lightning, and then the portal opens up, and we see the horseman come out of the tree. The horseman kind of stops for a second, looks at the three of them, and then, well, I mean, as best as you can look with no head and then makes his way into the woods he doesn't really seem concerned with ichabod katrina or masbeth ichabod quickly gets on gunpowder and follows the horseman to see what kind of trouble he's going to be causing this evening however ichabod loses the horseman and is unsure which direction he ended up going he comes to a fork in the road and he's not sure exactly which way to go we cut back to the town and we see mr killian's house he and his wife are talking they're having a nice moment with their son he's lighting candles and the horseman is now come for Mr. Killian. We see the horseman just kick that door down like it's nothing. Mr. Killian tries to fight the horseman off, but he's unable to. He tells his wife to shut herself in the bedroom with the child, and then we see Mr. Killian and the horseman fight. He really does try, but he's unable to overpower the horseman. Mr. Killian gets his head cut off. The wife puts the son in this little, like, cellar area, and then she gets her head cut off. The horseman goes to leave, essentially with just these two heads, and then sadly comes back for the little boy. He, like, uses this axe that was in the house to break the floor open, and then we see him pull the little boy out of the cellar. And then we don't see anything else, thankfully, but we know that that the little boy, um, sadly, wasn't going to walk out of there. But he also witnessed his mother's decapitation and saw his father's decapitated head. So maybe it was a small mercy for the trauma that that boy would have had growing up. I don't know. We see the horseman is getting ready to leave the house, but then Brom comes up and decides that he's going to defeat the horseman. The horseman originally doesn't seem bothered by Brom, but Brom keeps like antagonizing and going after the horseman, so the horseman now is trying to defend himself. Even Ichabod runs up and is like, he's not after you, like just let him go, and Brom refuses to. So Ichabod tries to help Brom. They land a couple good hits on the horseman, but of course it's not enough. I mean, he just came out of hell, essentially. It's not going to be that easy to take him down. Um, he then goes after Brom alone after Ichabod is knocked down and Brom is cut into pieces by the horseman and the horseman then just goes about his business. Witnessing Brom get cut into pieces causes Ichabod to pass out again. Ichabod is back at the Van Tassel house. The doctor's checking on him and says it's remarkable because the wound that he got, so the horseman did impale him, but not that bad. The doctor's even like, this really should have been a lot worse, but you really didn't lose a, a lot of blood and you really don't even need stitches, so you're very lucky. Then we see Katrina is making some potion by the fireplace, probably some type of tea. She comes to Ichabod with it and tells him to drink it and it will help him sleep. But 
Ichabod really wants her to know that she, that he tried to stop Brom. He's like, I tried, but you know, the horseman wasn't after either of us, but Brom wouldn't leave him alone. And Katrina's like, don't worry about it. Please just drink this. And again, she reiterates that it'll help him sleep. He tells them that he's discovered that the horseman does not kill at random and his victims are chosen by someone who controls him, by the person who took his skull. And that, you know, essentially it is someone of flesh and blood who is causing all of these things to happen. Van Tessel just thinks that Ichabod has gone off his rocker again. Katrina then finally makes him drink the, the tea that she made and he falls asleep. We get another flashback of Ichabod's father coming out of the room behind the red door. Ichabod then goes in behind him and finds his mother dead in the Iron Maiden. It's really intense and really bloody. He's like looking at the Iron Maiden after his mother like calls out for him from inside there. And then realizing that it's his mother, he kind of stumbles back and rests his hands on these two like torture tools that are just a bunch of spikes. And that's why he has all those holes on his hands. This startles Ichabod awake and he jumps up. Katrina's sitting on the edge of his bed watching him sleep and she asks him if he had a nightmare and he says that he remembered a bunch of stuff that he had forgotten. She asks him what and he says that he dreamed of his mother and that she was innocent. She was the child of nature but she was condemned to murder by his father. His father murdered her to save her soul because the dad thought that she was a witch. Ichabod says that he was seven when he lost his faith. Katrina then asks why he believes him, and he says science. He says cause and consequence. He believes in reason. He says that he shouldn't have come to Sleepy Hollow, and she says, will you take nothing of value when you leave? And he says, no, I will take a kiss from a lovely young woman. And, you know, this is, of course, calling back to the, the pickety witch. Ichabod apologizes for talking about their kiss after Brahm's passing, and Katrina says, I've cried for him, but my heart's not broken. She asks if it's a bad thing and if she's wicked for it, and Ichabod says no. Then Ichabod says, perhaps there is a bit of witch in you because you have bewitched me. Ichabod then falls back asleep, and when he wakes up, Lady Van Tassel's in his room. She pours him some water, and he tells her, like, no, don't worry about that. You're the lady of the house. Like, you should not be serving me. And she explains that the maid ran away because she was scared, so she left Sleepy Hollow. Ichabod asks where Katrina is, and Lady Van Tassel says she watched over you until dawn, but now she's taken her leave. We see Masbeth come into the room, and Ichabod sits up in bed and says that he feels fit to face another day. We then see him on the floor with all of these pieces of paper. He's, like, crawling around, trying to figure out in his head how everything matches up. He's like, I saw all the men arguing, and then Phillips was killed. Ichabod's trying to figure out how they're all connected. He thinks that it would be best to make a list of every single man, woman, and child in Sleepy Hollow and try and rule them out on whether or not they will be targeted by the horsemen. And then he's hoping that would maybe help him see some type of pattern. Ichabod gets the idea that they need to go to the notary, so he brings Masbeth with him and the two of them head to the notary's residence. Once they get inside the business slash residence, Masbeth finds his father's satchel sitting in the back on like this bookcase kind of hidden behind things. He wants to know what it's doing there. They find the notary hiding in a closet, and he tells the two of them that they need to leave him alone. Masbeth then brings the little, like, satchel slash briefcase down. They find that Van Garrett had actually made a new will just before he died, like the night that he died, and he is actually the father of the unborn child that was murdered. And in his new will, he left everything to the widow and his unborn child. They also secretly got married, and they find a marriage certificate as well. So everything that was supposed to be left to Van Garrett's oldest son, who was also murdered, would have then been passed to the widow and child. 
but they were murdered as well. Ichabod's putting all the pieces together. Of course, the reverend is the one who married them, so that's how he's connected. Dr. Lancaster attended the pregnancy because, like, she knew already, as did Phillips. And, of course, the notary made everything official in terms of the will. And Masbeth was there as a witness for the marriage because he's the one who signed as the witness. So Ichabod's happy because he finally has most of the pieces connected. Hardenbrook says that he didn't know everyone was going to be murdered and he has no idea what's going to happen. Ichabod then explains, you know, the horseman needs his head back and once it's restored, he'll go back to hell. Otherwise, he's just going to be, you know, doing whatever he's told because of whoever has the head. Ichabod explains that the next of kin, based on the family tree in the Bible that was given to him, is Baltus, so he would be the next heir to the Van Gera fortune, basically. So this puts a larger target on Baltus. We get back to the Van Tassel house, and Ichabod finds Katrina in his room. He asks her why she's in there, and she says, because it's your room. And then she says that she missed him. She asks where he went, and he explains they went to the notary. And clearly, Ichabod does not feel like he can trust her. He's not being super forthcoming. Katrina's like, my father thinks you should return to New York. And Ichabod asks why, and she says she's not sure. And she says, perhaps he looked in your notebook and didn't like what he found. And, of course, all of the notes that he had written down about the conspiracy and the secret, um, Baldus's name was written down on that same paper. Then Katrina asks about the papers that Ichabod's holding, and he says that they've been to the notary and that they found evidence, but he needs to get back to business, so he asks her to leave. She kind of begrudgingly says, okay, I'll leave you to what you're doing, and she leaves, but before she does, she like turns around in the doorway and sees which drawer he puts all of the paperwork in and then ichabod freaks out when she's gone because he sees a spider on the floor and he like jumps on the chair in the room and like asks masbeth to kill it the spider goes under the bed and so masbeth like gets on the floor to see where the spider went and then he sees that there is what appears to be an evil eye drawing uh like enchantment drawn on the floor under ichabod's bed Masbeth says someone has cast a dark spell against you, and Ichabod seems really shocked by this. It's now evening, Masbeth is sitting in a chair sleeping, and Ichabod is pondering all of the information that he has been given, and then he comes to some kind of conclusion. He wakes Masbeth up, and the two of them head downstairs and follow a figure out into the fog. We see this person moving through the woods. They've got a large cloak on, so we aren't sure exactly who this is. Ichabod and Masbeth continue to follow this person into the woods, and at one point, Ichabod tells Masbeth to hold back, finally, not putting this child in danger, and he goes around a tree to kind of see where this figure stopped, who it is, all this stuff, and we see that Lady Van Tassel is having sex with someone in the woods. She pulls a dagger out from, like, next to her, she cuts her hand, she places the blood on the man's back that she's having this affair with and ichabod seems very uncomfortable of course he retreats back into the woods and then he and masbeth make their way back to the house and once they are back in ichabod's room he notices that all the evidence that he had found is missing from inside of his desk he goes out and finds katrina at the old cottage that her and her family lived in and she is burning the evidence in the fireplace and she says she did it so that he couldn't accuse her father and she says that if 
Ichabod actually knew her father that he wouldn't have such harsh thoughts about him. Ichabod says, why would you be trying to conceal all of this then? Like, if you really think he's guilty, then why are you trying to hide it all? And she's like, I want you to leave me alone. And he says he can't. He says it was really brave of her to follow him into the western woods. And he's like, I think even that day you loved me. And she's like, well, why would I have to be afraid if my father was controlling the headless horseman? Like, clearly it would have been fine either way. Then she gets on her horse and she goes to leave. But before she does, she turns back to Ichabod and says, I curse the day you came to Sleepy Hollow. And she rides off. Ichabod gets back to the house and is talking with Lady Van Tassel. She's telling him Katrina does not wish to see him. She's refusing to leave her room until Ichabod's gone. Ichabod goes to exit the like dining room kitchen area that they're in. And Lady Van Tassel's like, you know, it's interesting you've not mentioned or asked me how I've cut my hand. She's got this like bandage over her hand. And you've also like not like you've tried not to look at my hand i'm assuming for that reason it gets really awkward and he's like oh oh no i'm sorry like how are you okay how did you injure yourself and she's like i know you saw me last night he tries to play stupid he's like saw you when saw what what do you whatever do you mean and she's like i know you followed me last night and then she makes him promise not to tell her husband what ichabod saw Belts then walks right in at that moment, and he says that Hardenbrook is dead. He hanged himself in the middle of the night, and then Baltus says that they're going to have a meeting tonight at the church with everyone in town, and the reverend is going to place blame on Ichabod coming to town, and so Baltus is like, it would probably be best if you leave before everybody is angry with you. Now it's evening, we see everyone kind of getting into the church, getting ready to gather, and we see Lady Van Tassel in the woods. She's picking some flowers, and then we see the horseman coming up behind her. Baltus is also kind of in the area, and he notices this. He, We assume that he stays to see what happens, but we next scene, we see him running into town, screaming for Katrina, and he tells Katrina that... Lady Van Tassel has been murdered at the hands of the horsemen. We've got thunder and lightning again. The mist is back. And the horseman is riding into town towards the church, where, of course, now everyone in town is running into. Masbeth and Ichabod also make a run for it at the very end, and they're able to get into the church in time. Everyone inside the church is freaking out. Like, it's pure chaos at the moment. Everyone's screaming, pushing, shoving. The reverend grabs a hold of Mr. Van Tassel and says, you are the one the horseman wants. And I is basically planning to like sacrifice him for the greater good, if you will. The horseman is unable to step foot on the church property because, of course, it's, you know, holy ground and the horseman is from hell. We see Katrina fall to the ground and we're not totally sure what she's doing, but it seems like she's drawing something on the ground. Baltus then takes... I think it's Ichabod's gun because there's like a whole scuffle that goes on between the Reverend and Baltus and the Doctor and Ichabod. And I think that Baltus ends up taking Ichabod's gun and he points it to the Doctor and the Reverend and is like, anyone who tries to put me out there will get a bullet. And then it, the chaos goes more. The Doctor's like, look, it's time to confess our sins and like we need to move on from this we need to try and make things right the reverend then picks up this large wooden cross and hits the doctor over the head with it which causes baltus to panic and he accidentally shoots the reverend it's a complete disaster so now the doctor is dead the reverend's dead 
and the town people are freaking out because a gun just went off and they are now kind of coming for baltus because they're like why would you do that what are you doing so he's like being kind of pushed by other people in the town up this little set of stairs up to the larger stage area where the reverend would probably normally give his sermons i think is what the word would be Sorry, if you hear my dog chewing on a toy, he is determined to do that right next to me. And while this commotion's going on, we see that the, you know, young men in the town who also have guns have been uh, breaking the windows in the church to be able to shoot at the headless horseman. We see the headless horseman grab one of the, like, fence picket posts, and we see him wrapping a piece of rope around it. And then we see inside the church... Van Tassel saying that there's a conspiracy and he's going to figure out what's going on. And then the horseman throws this makeshift, I don't know, arrow essentially on a stick. I don't even know, a harpoon, I guess, through the windows of the church and impales Van Tassel and then is able to pull him out of the church because he's impaled on this fence post that he wrapped around rope. So the horseman takes off and drags Van Tassel out of the church, drags him through the ground. He ends up getting caught in, I think it's like the cemetery fencing. And so then the horseman comes back, beheads him, and takes his head, which poor Katrina has to watch from the top part of the church where she was standing. She passes out. We see that she's unconscious. Of course, the doctor and the reverend are dead. And we see that it seems as though Katrina was the one who drew the evil eye on Ichabod's floor because the same image is on the floor of the church. And Katrina was holding like the chalk that matches the chalk that is on the church floor and Ichabod's floor. Back at the Van Tassel house, Katrina is in bed, presumably sleeping. Ichabod's in her room and says, you know, this isn't your fault. You were possessed. I hope that whatever possesses you is happy and you'll be okay moving forward. Ichabod says his life is over and he will have a lifetime of horrors in his sleep moving forward. He tells her goodbye and then in his notebook we see that Ichabod has done a bunch of drawings of Katrina and written her name in hearts and it it's very interesting. He ends up burning the notebook and then he pulls out the book of spells and charms that she gave him. And at this moment, the carriage pulls up in front of the house. Masbeth is upset that Ichabod thinks that Katrina was behind everything. Ichabod says that he has a good reason to believe that and that because of this, Ichabod's going to leave. Ichabod says villainy wears many masks, but none so dangerous as the mask of virtue. Masbeth looks like he's going to cry. Ichabod says goodbye to him and then gets in the carriage to leave. We see that Katrina is awake now and Masbeth sees Ichabod leave in the carriage. Katrina then goes to the window and sees the carriage pull away. As he's leaving the town, he sees Lady Van Tassel's body being pulled off of one of like the morgue carts or coffin carts, whatever they were calling them. And we see that, you know, we assume it's Lady Van Tassel because we see the cut on her palm. Ichabod uh, in the carriage then pulls out the spell book that Katrina gave him and he opens it and he finds out that what was under his bed and what she drew in the church was actually a protection spell against the evil eye that you would do or write for someone you loved. Ichabod leans out the window and orders the man to turn around because he's actually not ready to leave yet. Ichabod jumps out of the carriage and goes to the doctor to check out the bodies of the Van Tassels. Um, he checks both bodies, but he notices that the cut on the hand of supposedly Lady Van Tassel couldn't be her because there's no clotting, there's no signs of healing. The person was already dead when the cut was made to their hand. 
So this is not Lady Van Tassel. Back at the house, Katrina sitting in a chair and then look who's alive, Lady Van Tassel. Katrina faints when she sees this and then we see Ichabod leaving the doctor right at this moment. He jumps in the carriage and full speeds to the Van Tassels. Next, we see Lady Van Tassel cutting off a lock of Katrina's hair and Van Tassel has taken Katrina to this large windmill that's kind of dilapidated and we see that Lady Van Tassel is actually the one who's in charge of the Headless Horseman. She's got the horseman's skull. She's now putting out a hit on Katrina and... And as she's kind of putting this hit on Katrina, she says, if you do this one, you'll get your head back. And then we cut to the train. We see the horseman coming out of hell. And he's on his way to take Katrina, or take her head, basically. Katrina wakes up and starts to talk with her stepmother. And she's like, father saw you die. And she's like, no, he just saw the horseman coming toward me. He didn't stay to watch everything. I just used the servant girl in place of myself, which is kind of harsh. We see a flashback of Lady Van Tassel cutting off the servant's head and putting the same cut on her hand. Then we get Lady Van Tassel's monologue, and she says that her and her family lived in town until her father died, and then her mother wasn't able to pay the rent, even though they had been great tenants, but the landlord evicted them, and no one would take her in because her mother was suspected of witchcraft. So the three of them lived in the western woods as outcasts, and we find out that Van Tassel's mother died after a year of living out there so it was really just her and her twin sister and they actually the house that they had before her father died is the house that then katrina and her family were moved into when the van garrett's brought them to sleepy hollow and the van garrett's were the landlords at the time who essentially evicted lady mary and her mom and sister so she has come to take back what's hers, essentially. So she was like, you know, I needed to kill the Van Tassel or the Van Garretts. And, you know, but then he got married to the widow and they had a child. So then, of course, they had to go. And then Masbeth knew the secret. So then he had to go. And then the next person in line would have been your father. And so then I had to get rid of him. And Katrina's like, okay, so then like, why do you need me? And she's like, because in your father's will, everything goes to you. I only get everything if you die as well. And as we're getting this monologue from Lady Van Tassel, we see that Masbeth has made it to the windmill as well. And he's trying to sneak in and see what's going on. And he's trying to sneak up behind Lady Van Tassel, but she knows that he's there. He tries to hit her with what looks like a shovel, but she dodges it. Masbeth runs past her, grabs a hold of Katrina, and the two of them try and flee this windmill. We learn that Miss Killian um, was more the target because the widow had gone and spoken with her as well since she was the midwife, So, and Lady Mary didn't think that she had kept it to herself. She figured she at least shared it with her husband and possibly their child overheard, so then they had to go as well. She says that the horseman did more of the work, even though it was a bit more work than she expected. And as Masbeth grabs Katrina and tries to, you know, get the two of them to safety, we see as they're leaving the windmill, Ichabod pulls up. We get a couple flashbacks as well, and we see that Lady Mary even killed her sister and decapitated her in the woods. So this is when we get quite a few decapitation shots um, in like a short period of time. Lady Van Tassel says, tonight the horseman comes and he comes for your head. We cut back and we see the horseman riding through the woods and he is 
booking it. Like, he's going real fast. Finally, Ichabod's pulling up in the carriage right as Katrina and Masbeth are fleeing. He runs towards them, and at this point, Van Tassel's leaving with the skull, and she, like, hides it behind her back because then the horseman is kind of getting to the area as well. Ichabod... Katrina and Masbeth run into the windmill and try and barricade themselves inside so that the horseman can't get in. He ends up getting in, though, so the three of them have to make their way to the top of the windmill. And then Ichabod throws a lantern down to essentially set the windmill on fire. And the three of them have to ride like the actually like the actual windmill pieces as they're blowing. They have to ride those down to get the safety. Then we see the windmill blow up. This, of course, doesn't kill the horseman. He's essentially immortal. So he comes walking out of the flames, kind of badass. And the three of them jump into the carriage and try and make their escape. The horseman gets on his horse and chase after them. And, of course, Lady Van Tassel is long gone. So the horseman's following the carriage real close behind. Ichabod has Katrina take the reins and he takes his gun and he gets on top of the carriage so that he can shoot at the horseman. The horseman has already jumped off of his horse and is kind of clinging to the back of the carriage trying to pull himself up. The horseman and Ichabod have kind of a little fighting moment. Ichabod ends up getting knocked off the top of the carriage by a tree branch, but thankfully he falls right onto the horseman's horse, so he's not quite out of the, the battle yet. We see that the horseman is still trying to pull himself up on the carriage. He's like kind of having a hard time. Ichabod has to jump from the horseman's horse and jump to the carriage. He pushes the horseman off, but the horseman gets back on his horse and comes up back to the carriage. Ichabod and the horseman fight on top of the carriage. It's a pretty pretty intense scene. And then Ichabod, he tells Masbeth and Katrina to get on the horses on the carriage because they were just sitting kind of like where the coach rider, the coach driver would be. He tells them to get on the horses and then he breaks the like trailer hitch that's between the horses and the carriage. So the two of them are able to kind of go away. The carriage is now a driverless, directionless vehicle. And at the last second, Ichabod jumps off. He jumps onto the little part of the trailer that's still attached to the horses. And the carriage goes straight into this line of trees with the horsemen still on it. They're still in the woods and we see Van Tassel pull up on a horse and she pulls a gun on Katrina. Ichabod tells her to run and then Miss Van Tassel shoots Ichabod in the shoulder. Katrina, of course, then runs back to try and help him. And this causes Van Tassel to grab Katrina and hold her up by the hair as she calls the horseman over. Masbeth checks on Ichabod, and he's doing okay. And then Ichabod sees the skull bag that Van Tassel had been carrying the horseman's skull in. So he tries to quickly make his way over to get the bag. Van Tassel is trying to stop him. She ends up letting go of Katrina so that she can keep the power of the horseman, essentially. Because once he gets his head back, he's like, I'm out of here. I don't need this anymore. Like, I don't need to be killing people. I got my head back. I'm chilling. So they are fighting on the ground, Ichabod and Van Lady Van Tassel, for this bag. And Masbeth grabs this really large stick and hits Van Tassel over the back of the head with it so that she lets go. Ichabod grabs the skull, and at this moment, the horseman has made his way to Katrina and grabs her by the back of the hair and is getting ready to cut off her head. 
then throws the head at the horseman, like gets his attention and throws him the head. He puts it back on his shoulders, and then we see the flesh and muscles and all of that um, stuff come back on his face, like it's it's growing back. It's a really interesting shot. Looks real painful. Um, and then we see that this is, of course, the same horseman that we saw in the beginning. You know, he's got the creepy teeth and all of that stuff. And he, now that he is flesh again, or, you know, he's not alive, but now that he has his head back, he's ready to go back to hell. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be around anymore. He's done slicing and cutting off people's heads. So he gets on his horse and then he goes and he picks up Lady Van Tassel and takes her to hell with him. But it's great because she's kind of unconscious after being hit over the back of the head with this large branch. And she wakes up realizing that she's like cradled in the horseman's arms. She starts screaming. He like kiss slash bites her. I don't know if he like bites her lip or bites her tongue. But he like essentially kisses her and then she starts bleeding and screaming. And he like laughs and then takes the two of them through the portal. Which is great because he also ends up getting his revenge because Lady Van Tassel was the little girl, like I said, who snapped the, the, the stick and caused him to get murdered anyway by the soldiers. In the tree, we see that one of Lady Van Tassel's hands didn't make it through the portal, and so it's like kind of stuck out of the tree, which is pretty cool, uh, but this causes Ichabod to faint. We also see that Ichabod was fine after being shot because he had Katrina's spell book in like one of his upper pockets and so that's where he was shot and the little book that she gave him ended up saving his life. Next we see a carriage leaving Sleepy Hollow and arriving back to New York and it holds Ichabod, Katrina, and Masbeth. The three of them will be living together. Of course Katrina and Ichabod as a couple and Masbeth as their servant. The film ends with the three of them walking down a busy New York street, Masbeth carrying all of their bags, and Ichabod and Katrina arm in arm taking in the sights of the city as snow starts falling. And that is the end of Sleepy Hollow. I, this is such a, I mean, it's a classic, like, October watch, um, a classic Halloween watch. Just, there's scenes in it where it makes it not like a, a fan favorite of mine that I watch often. Yeah, much like I talked about in the actual Washington Irving story, Ichabod, while in the film, I think is a little easier to like, there are instances of him that drive me nuts, like using Masbeth as a shield. And he does it in the end um, for a brief moment when the horseman, like, gets his flesh back and he, like, looks over at them, Ichabod, like, takes a step behind Katrina and she takes a step in front of him. And it's very brief because then, he, of course, he's, like, not, he's not into needing to kill either of them anymore. But it's, like, he was after Katrina and she, like, steps in front of Ichabod to protect it. And it just, I don't know. I mean, I'm all for strong women. I am. Don't get me wrong. But I'm, like, she's 19 and you're, like, 30 something why are you hiding behind what are you doing knock it off i hope that you enjoyed today's episode it was so much fun to be back recording um, i'm hoping to get back on a solid weekly friday update schedule for hopefully the rest of the year um 
Yeah. So stay tuned for that. If you want to check out the podcast on social medias, I have the podcast on Instagram and Twitter under M Murder Movies. So that's M as in Massacre Murder Movies on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to see what I'm watching, what I'm reading, the horror news I'm interested in, um, there's actually supposed to possibly be some kind of resolution in the SAG after strike. I saw that um, like yesterday, I think it was. So hopefully we will get some good news and be able to talk horror news again and actors will be paid what they should be paid so yeah i hope you enjoyed today's episode if you did please feel free to subscribe like rate wherever you listen and i will see you in the next one remember to stay safe and stay spooky and have a happy halloween